Yes, Phaeton. I love that some of them call him Phaeton. Like, no one really, like, they don't yeah. all pronounce his name. Yeah. Pakistan. And, and, he's, and he's like the supreme ruler of the solar system. Like, he is the most powerful being in existence, in known existence. And it's like, yeah, Phaeton, Phaeton, I don't know, what a fuck. Yeah, I have a conference call coming up with, uh, what's his name? He's, yeah. the, he's the president of something. You hear his name spoken in, like, government pledge songs hundreds of times a day. And you're like, whatever. <laughs> Everybody, welcome to Exo Squad Goals, the Exo Squadcast podcast. I'm Chris Mastalone. I'm Ryan Harnity, and I'm Chris Ferentino. And this is the end of season one, spooktacular with ghosts and goblins and all sorts of stuff, and recaps of season one. You didn't tell me that. You didn't tell me there were going to be ghosts here. <laughs> Look, I mean, we all have to come to terms with it, Chris. Like, sure. just because you can't see it doesn't mean it doesn't exist, right, Adams? Do you, do you believe in ghosts? Or are you a ghost person? I'm a ghost buster. Fair enough. Um, in, the, in like the 90s hip-hop sense. So it, it's not really a good thing. <clears throat> but, so... <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah, moving on from that. Um, so we just finished season one of the show. All 13 amazing episodes. And, episodes. you know, and we're just taking this space to kind of like talk about a few things, a few questions that you know pertain to like that group of episodes as a bunch because the next stretch is like 39 episodes and we'll probably have to break it up at some point because that's a lot of episodes to just recap all at once but yeah you know like i want to ask you guys a couple of questions but first before that (laughs) oh god (laughs) um i just want to say like well actually this is the first question i will just read what i wrote the show means a lot of to all of us obviously we talked about this a little bit in episode one but like how did you guys like first come to experience the show and like what was your first reaction when you first saw it you know what i mean i mean ryan you talked about how you'd watch it with your uh your grandparents yeah as like as like the cool kind of naughty thing yeah uh, it was aw- yeah it was awesome we were living with my grandparents so the way i got into exo squad was i was uh i was already just really into like science fiction especially like robot like uh like robot stuff uh and then one day i forget why i was up really early and i saw exo squad i was like this rules and it was on at six um and a lot of times uh early in the mornings um i would sneak into my grandparents room and they would let me watch exo squad uh and ruled and um yeah i mean i definitely did not get the levels of sophistication that there are when I first watched it as a kid, I just, like, knew it was awesome. Like, I thought it was really cool. Um, Was it, it like, how different did it feel from, like, other stuff you were watching at the time? It was was totally different. Like, like Like, if I think back to what I was watching at that time, I was watching, like, well, Batman the Animated Series, which is, like, very different. Uh, and then, like, a lot of just, like, like Animaniacs and, like, uh, Tiny Toon Adventures and, like, that kind of stuff. Um, so, like, yeah, I, I would definitely describe it as, like, a lot... Because I didn't watch anime. So, like, to me, Exo Squad was, like, extremely dark and, like, extremely gritty. 
Um, and I remember thinking that it was like better than like I remember distinctly thinking like in my head like this is my favorite show. Like this is my favorite show. Yeah, for real. Like, how about you, Chris? You know, I don't. I don't know that I necessarily remember like the moment, but I. It was probably on after school for me, and um, I watched a lot of cartoons after school. Like, kind of like Ryan did, like Disney. Uh, Bat, definitely Batman, but also like the Disney Afternoon stuff. Oh yeah, that's um, that stuff was awesome. Which yeah. I, it, it was like really good, and I really was a big fan of that stuff. I watched. The, I watched a lot of that too. And I think it's kind of super fun that it speaks to the fact that we can watch like Disney cartoons and like dark <laughs> cartoons. Like, um, but yeah, no, I mean, I could, we could, I could do a whole Disney Afternoon podcast um, because I loved all those shows and and um, you know, there's something it, going on a tangent, but there's something about Tailspin that's like, you know, it's this sort of Casablanca uh, Jungle Book kind of crossover. <laughs> <laughs> with with a bunch of other stuff, and I think for for watching Exo Squad, it was definitely like different. But I I think I remember like at the, even at the time, kind of understanding a lot of the parallels to slavery or to kind of World War Two or things like that. And it was super fascinating, and it's super serialized, which made it really enjoyable to watch, like day after day, because it wasn't like oh they're going to get into another one off adventure this time. Yeah. And, so I so I don't know what when that would have been, but I just I just remember just watching. I love the, I mean I love the toys. I love the, you know, the fantasy that you play in your head of like flying any frame around when you're a kid. Like, <laughs> there's a lot of really cool stuff to it. Yeah, seriously. Like I know personally, like um, that you know it was funny because I remember this after the fact. When I was a kid, we took a family vacation to. Uh, to Universal Studios because they have the amusement park there and it was it was across from the backdraft ride because that was like the new big thing they had like this uh, like a little tented area set up and it was like you know crazy hot day and they had like a promo package of just shit that they all were working on and I was like okay what's all this and one of the things they were doing was they were showing off ExoSquad which I thought was like the craziest shit you know, because I'm like, holy crap, this is, uh, you know, what's this crazy cartoon? You know, again, like I watched all those Warner Brothers, like the uh, Animaniacs, your your Dark Knights, you know, and Tailspin. Because like, like you said, Tailspin is that Jungle Book Casablanca crossover you didn't know you need until you saw it. And all of them, all of them are great because they all used a like, um, they all used like a different milieu, like. Tailspin was like Casablanca, and like Rescue Rangers was like was like noir, and uh, Darkwing Duck was like the shadow, like old superhero stuff, and it was all like old Disney properties, like taken to like a new like uh, like setting, which was kind of rad. No, no, definitely. Yeah. yeah, there was this heightened sense of like there were great adventure shows for kids, you know. Yeah, I mean, I remember there were a couple episodes of uh, Tailspin where it was like. What was his name? Don Carnage? Was that the pirate? <laughs> the pirate. Yeah, yeah. It'd be like him and his pirate buddies are going to assault, uh, I forget the name of the bar or whatever, but uh, and they like raise the stakes for an episode and then like, it didn't, but the thing is, like you said, it wasn't serialized. So they have this like incredibly tense episode and then the next one would be like, hey, we're just goofing around. And yeah, there'd, there'd be like two that they would, they do like them in twos once in a while and those were like, oh my God, to be continued. This is amazing. <laughs> Yeah, and like, you know, like I had been really into World War II stuff from like Star Wars, um, just because like, 
you know, yeah. it's like, wow, they modeled all the space battles off of like World War II fighter footage and stuff. And then I saw Exo Squad and I'm like, wow, this is like the whole thing. This is like the fighter stuff. This is like all of it put into one. And it's like, it's kind of unreal when you see it, especially like when I was a kid, I was like, I didn't know you could do this with stuff. And it's like, I really remember distinctly different moments when that would be, you know what I mean? When it was, uh, you know, sort of kind of like, you know, here reading a play and being like, wow, I didn't know you could do that on stage or seeing a big Broadway show or, you know, star Wars or something. And this was one of those pieces of media that I'm like, holy shit. I had no idea you could do this kind of cool, massive story especially on tv i also remember this being the time when i was starting to get bored of tv shows where everything reset like i remember distinctly like watching a show and being like i think it was like inspector gadget and i was like it doesn't matter if they like they're not gonna get dr claw like that's not gonna happen (laughs) there's there's no way like this is not the last episode of the show that's not gonna happen um and like exo squad comes along and it's like totally serialized and i remember being like this is better. Like this is more my speed. I was gonna say. I remember like when Power Rangers came out, and it, and like very, it was like, wow, you're just gonna do the same thing every time. Yeah. Like you're not gonna, you're not <laughs> even gonna try. Yeah. No, it's it's gonna be the exact same setup, exact same everything, and like, you know, even with because um, there was like a trick trickle of like anime coming over, even with those shows, the majority of them like, you know. Um, I mean, Dragon Ball is different, like, just because I'm, like, looking at this article, but, like, uh, a Sailor Moon or a, uh, I don't know, just any of those sort of, like, shows where it's just, like, like you said, that Power Rangers formula of this happened, you know, in Act 1. But those it, shows, like, the Dragon Ball and Sailor Moon were on, like, a diff- different networks. Oh, yeah, so, no, that, and that's like, the thing. what was great about Exosquad is I could go, like, into, like, the little TV in my room that got four channels and watch it. You know, I didn't need Cartoon Network, which was... Yeah, probably pretty early at that time. Yeah, it wasn't even Nickelodeon, which was like, you know, even, I mean, we were running Stimpy's and all that sort of stuff weren't serialized. I don't know how you would, but, you know, it's kind of crazy to think that everyone could get this thing and it was doing something brand new that none of us had ever seen before, you know, which is un- just amazing to me, you know? Um, let me ask the next question. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> um. Uh, Oh yeah. Before before this, this is I have I have a Exo Squad Power Rangers connection I'd like to make later. <laughs> no, go for it, man. Freaking a. No, it's 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 no, this is not the moment. It's it's is, it's is too it, deep. Is it too sexual? It's gonna it's gonna <laughs> you're gonna need to wait for it. Wait for it. Wait for it. Um, <laughs> oh, crossover. Um, well, let me uh, let me ask. We'll get there. Well, we will. Um, just because these are like some of these are silly questions, some of these are like, um. Not your MVP, but as of right now in the series, who's your favorite character and like sort of why? Stentor. <laughs> I knew that was coming. I knew that was coming. Um, no, he's really <laughs> my MVP. Uh, he's uh, not my favorite character because he's not in it, but I do. I love the idea that there's a Neo Sapien doing a kind of like sticky kind of announcing gig. That they're not all they're, they're not all fighters. That they're yeah, not yeah. all warriors. So I do like that. But, but, He's probably not my favorite character. Your real answer is Charles McKenna, obviously, right? Yes. Um, some of the great characters aren't you know kind of aren't in it as much towards the end. Um, like the pirates aren't in it as much, and like Amanda Connors isn't in it as much. Uh, yeah. So let me give me a second to consider that. <laughs> I'm actually gonna say 
my favorite character is Sean Napier. Um, hmm. I think I think upon rewatching, he's a very complex dude with a lot of interesting issues and a lot of like room to grow. Uh, and I think he makes he's an interesting character to watch evolve into like a leader of the resistance. No, that's a good one. You know, um, I'm gonna I think he's a good guy all the time, but like I think he's he's the character I'm most interested in like watching and like seeing evolve. I think I think so far the most interesting character for me is is kind of Marsala because um, he he seems to be the one who really understands who really understands the differences between humans and Neo-Sapiens in a way that neither the, neither the rest of the humans nor the Neo-Sapiens seem to grasp completely. Um, and I think he's, right now, I think he's one of the more complicated characters. No, that, yeah. that, that's an awesome one, because, like... That's a really good one. Especially with the, the last arc right there at the end of the season, um, we learn so freaking much about him, and he becomes such a deep character, you know? He's, yeah, he's he very much, like, gets it. And I think we haven't seen a lot of other characters really understand. <laughs> like, we haven't really seen the humans, like, understand Neo-Sapiens through knowing Marsala. We haven't really seen the uh, Neo-Sapiens understand the humans. How about I, you? I'm going to say, I know who my MVP would be, but I will say my favorite character is kind of Takagi. Just because when I was a kid, I remember like liking him you know I mean he's like the cool you know he's got the crazy hair he's the young guy he's our POV character but I really enjoy over the course of the season how they make him how because I didn't realize this as a kid um how they give him an arc where he's like he really is like the effing new guy and then by the end of the season he's actually like this super badass character and he you know is forming his own relationship he's like surviving this crazy battle that not a lot of people did and he's being super brave so like I don't know there's something like really interesting about that they give you this POV character and they're just like we're actually going to have him do some cool stuff but not be the center of the story he's he's one of the few characters that has like very very like involved relationships with multiple characters like he has multiple like um like relationship storylines going on with different characters like him and Bronski and him and Maggie like yeah, no, he's definitely polyamorous. Well, part of the problem with with the with the shows that just reset every time is that the characters never learn anything. Um, <laughs> so the idea that like a character in a cartoon show can actually like have an arc is sort of revolutionary in a way. Yeah, no, in that first episode, he almost gets the whole squad killed by, you know, by not really listening, by acting too rashly, and you know, by the end of it, he's he's saving Maggie. You know, she's hit. She's spiraling out of control. He hits the, uh, hits her with that like grappling hook magnet thing. You know, so it, it's it's pretty cool to see him develop into not the most responsible one, but like kind of a hotshot ace who's who kind of knows a little more who he is, but still kind of figuring it out. You know, he becomes selfless where before he was selfish. Oh shit! And for dinner he had shellfish. shellfish. You you might say. <laughs> The squad's treatment of Takagi has been shellfish. Now, um, okay, real quick, guys. Favorite favorite Ephraim. Oh, I want it to be Bronski's because I want him to have two double barrels. But the grappling hook is killing me. Um, <laughs> so I might say I I might say Torres because she has the laser sword. Yeah, that's pretty sick. I 
I think for me, it's got to be that uh, Neo Sapien frame with the claws that looks like a frog. Yeah. I think that's cool. I think that's the coolest E-frame. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say mine's that purple Neo Sapien E-frame just because twofold. One, that arm missile cannon just is something different every episode. Yep, sometimes it's a mace, sometimes it's a rocket. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes it's a pumpkin. Yeah, exactly. It's Halloween. Um, but also, just as like a little thing, because you have that shoulder rack of missiles, you get so many awesome close-ups of the pilots when they're like it's in true. a battle or something like that. Or, you know, as I might talk about a little bit later, as they're about to die in a horrifying way. So, you know, I, I really find that just like the ultimate interesting I E-frame. I- I like Marsh's a lot. He has like a chain gun and like another laser and then just wings that are just shoot missiles. And I'm a big missiles fan. Yeah. <laughs> They're really cool to watch. Napier's frame is really sweet too. With just like the arm guns and like the missile rack on, like above, on the, above the head. That's like a really, that's a sweet frame. I, can I just say one, one of my favorite shots from the season is during the fight with Phaeton when they kind of go the POV right behind uh, the missile on Marcia's frame and he just like fucking like lights him up with it. Yeah, like, dude. That is such a good shot. The the shot that always sticks with me is the one, from, I think it's the pirate fight where Marsh fires the wing missiles and one of them like corkscrews and hits the pirate ship. They use it in the, they use it in the, um in the, in the opening credits. Yeah. It's so, it's so sick. Like. <laughs> yeah, no, dude, it's like, that's what I love about these things is that they all have that you know potential to do amazing like for even like the the bronski frame that was flown by the other pilot um who hammer throws that missile back at the oh the lady pilot she's so good yeah freaking i also love that all the pilots in that squad that get like get lit up have names like they're not just like oh no alpha three is down you know it's like oh baker's down and justice for sent yeah there's like other squads too and they repeatedly reference them it's like pretty cool yeah and they're not just you know faceless you know you know red three is down red five take his place you know it's they make it feel like a lived-in world which is like one of the best things that this show does you know um okay i i have a quick thing i want to do to just like show a point okay so i'm just gonna say a couple of names of characters and just say like describe them without using their rank you know so for example like jt marsh you can't be like he's the leader but just like what's a character trait of these guys okay uh, just, just, just rapid fire, and this is to a point, okay? So, like Marsh, he's very compassionate. He's like, he leads by example. Yeah, he's very like, I don't know. He's de- he's decent. He has he under he's understands people. De Leon, uh, he's ruthless. He's uh, he's he's a good guy, but he's re- he's willing to do whatever it takes to get the job done. He's oddly cold blooded and calculating. Torres, savage. Uh, just totally just <laughs> so savage um she, she's, yeah she's harsh she's like demanding yeah she's, yeah she's demanding she's disciplined she's getting the job done okay marsala i mean that he's deeper than a well so we don't need, even need to say anything there uh maggie uh she's like she's like frustrated she's like annoyed a lot and overworked um and she's real snippy uh but she's really like quick yeah she's professional she's um technical and she's uh loyal okay bronski drunk <laughs> rough he's uh yeah he's like 
he's like gruff and like, like angry a lot, but he's like a really nice guy. Uh, and he like he likes taking people under his wing. Um, and he really likes like annoying Torres. He's also borderline incompetent. <laughs> but he's but he's so good at like like he's so good in the frame that it doesn't matter. Yeah, true. No, he's like the ultimate grunt. We talked about Takagi. Uh, I'm gonna say Winfield. Uh, he's wise. Um, he's like reserved though. Yeah, he's he's uh, resolute. Oh, oh, <laughs> the, I see what you did he's there. The he's stalwart. He is, you know, exo carrier, thoughtful. Yeah. <laughs> and finally, well, I'm not gonna say finally. Phaeton. He's he's very charismatic. Um, he's very dynamic, and he's like really smart. Um, but he's very calculating, and he's uh. He's very angry, furious. Yeah, I I would agree with. I don't have much more to say than that, but that's all. Tr- that's all true. And finally, Captain Marcus, uh, a southern fighter gentleman, <laughs> duelist. Uh, he's the, he's he he sees he sees himself as like the heir to Winfield and resents other people getting in his way. And he also, but. Uh, He's he's all he's all dick. Yeah, he doesn't he doesn't have what it takes to leave. Okay, so the reason I did this is that we just went through like say about eleven characters, give or take a little bit, right? And all of them feel like developed people. You know what I mean? Like no one is just like, oh, Marsh, he's the leader. You know, he's a Donatello, he's a Michelangelo. Like not to rag on Ninja Turtles, but like I think that's a remarkable achievement, especially in thirteen episodes. You know, where you're trying to move this big story along. You like, didn't even mention Nera, who I think is... Uh, oh, well, I, well, I was, I was going <laughs> to... Well, you're, you're going there? Well, I was going to talk about her, her next, because, you know, she's got... You know, she is... She is season one, and... but right, but cut this part out. <laughs> no. The people <laughs> must know. Um, but, yeah. Okay, there we go. But... You know, we, we talked about all these people, and none of them necessarily feel underdeveloped. Like, Torres, maybe a little bit, you know, but I think she gets a little business in season two. But everyone's got something going on in a storyline. Like, and I think that's just remarkable, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Like, it's it's cool to, like, when you rewatch a lot of shows as an adult, um, like, they almost, they're, they're, because they're, they're, they're written for the level of kids usually. So, like, they feel a little small. And, like, when I rewatched Exosquad, I was like, this was way deeper than, like, I remember it. Like, I'm really glad I re- Like, it's a lot more intellectually engaging upon watching as an adult. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> Ryan just says it right every time. I don't, yeah. I don't know what to add. But um, I think there's, like, a lot of mouths to feed in this show. And I think that's a testament to, to how good it is that not everybody gets to be front and center all, all the time. The whole time, like, I mean, we'll get to get to them later, but like, half half the stuff on Earth is is as interesting as anything else. Um, half the stuff is as inter- the stuff on Earth is as interesting <laughs> as anything else, and we've spent relatively little time there with Napier and his and Amanda, and that stuff. So um, yeah, you, I mean, it's you look hard at- to get it. everybody's really cool, and you could make a whole show where every anybody is the main character. I mean, not to go back to the Game of Thrones well again, but, like, you even look at a show like that and the trouble they have keeping everyone on and everyone engaged, and this show's doing it, like, really freaking well. 
and it, that just blows i just wanted to point that out because that blows me away yeah um it's a lot, a lot of balls in the air <laughs> a lot of balls a lot of balls <laughs> and welcome to my club it's called a lot of balls yeah <laughs> the uh i mean do you want to take a second and just talk about nara because we're kind of on that sh- that sort of feeling right now um she's i mean we you know we've been sort of interacting a bit with uh michael eden's executive story producer and writer of like half these episodes and he was he mentioned in an email that i am not opening up right now that this concept that nara burns is the most important character in the series and that's something i want to keep like front and center with us going forward because i mean she's always been like she's the innocent and she's the innocence lost and she has a teddy bear that's alive um we like what do you guys think about her as she stands right now because she like her just at the base of her arc in that first season is i mean just consider this she goes in the first episode being like i don't know if i can go to war i don't know if i can do this to shooting phaeton i mean that's you know, it's Saving Private Ryan level stuff. <laughs> she was aiming for his gun, to be fair. Yeah, right. Um, I think that there's, I, there's, one of the sort of questions I was coming up with was like, what do you, like, what do you remember differently than watching it this time around? And I think with her, like, I, I tend to think, yeah, she's she's innocent. She's like, you know, she's the art, whatever ROTC. She got her master's degree and she's a lieutenant. But like she hasn't really put in the time that everybody else has. But um, I, that said, I think she still does some things that are a little bit more dynamic than I think I give her credit for in my head. Like, like one, so one, we see her family. We don't see anybody else's family, so I think that's pretty significant. But then she she kind of defies orders and and goes off on her own to. And make sure they're okay, or to see how things have happened on Venus, which I think I think takes some kind of initiative and some kind of guts to do the wrong thing. And you know, she's so she's not necessarily, um, you know, a do-gooder or following the rules all the time. I thought that was an interesting character choice in that moment. Like clearly, her family is important to her. I think that's a significant part of her character, and I think she has. A, still has a long way to go. Um, but I think, I think, I think that there's more, there's more there than I think I thought. Yeah, definitely. I, I remember, you know, as like a young, a little boy watching this being like, ew, a girl story, gross. And she is the heart of the show. It's, it's unreal. I mean, her relationship with Marsala was always super important but watching it now you really realize how important she is to the structure of this well, whole show well I was going to ask what do you guys think is the significance of putting them together like everyone else is a solo frame and they're the only ones that share a frame um, I, I think it I think it provides a background to like establish the closest to their relationship so that they can grow a lot like like they're 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 partners and they develop feelings for each other but they're like they're partners first which i think is is important i mean i think it's it's a very it's a really good visual reminder that kind of like we talked about 
I guess in the last episode, how, you know, when, when we don't work together, we're doomed to repeat the cycle of violence and they're them being together in the frame is like a constant visual reminder. Like there is a way forward. We can work together even no matter how tough it is. Um, it's interesting that they get separated for like half the season, but I always think right. that thought that was like a really good, um, just like it's always there. It's not really commented on directly, but it's just letting you know. Yeah, I, yeah. I was kind of I was thinking about it today, and I was thinking that you know, when this is all over, that they're the future. Yeah, you know that there's no there's not going to be a place for uh, Shane. Or, you know, like the searchers, like John Wayne has, you know, can't go inside the house at the end, which is civilization. Yeah. He's a man of the wilderness. And and that's going to be JT and Winfield and everyone else. But these two have to, like, go on and, and build society back up after it's all over. Definitely. And it's like, you know, we've had a couple of calls to kind of talk about the uh, historical, like, background of like what was going on in the world during this, this show. And, you know, it was written in, in like 92, 93. And there in America, particularly, there was a lot of racial tension going on. Um, you know, Malcolm X was, I think, the number one movie at the time. So, you know, it's, it's really interesting to right. see like, yeah, exactly. And like, so it's really interesting and really cool to see something being like, look, we have, you know, an American girl doll here and then you know a coded other and they're working together and they're making things good so it's just like a really cool you know hopeful message buried in there in this really hard freaking murderous war but um let's see I'd like to ask let me just I'm just gonna pound through these last couple if that's cool sure um pound away they're <laughs> again too deep too deep too deep um there are a lot of doomed characters on the show okay so you got like diana zenobius the accountant marcus what do their deaths mean to you like thematically you know is are they sort of like showing the loss of innocence the loss of like the death of certain ideals or are they sort of there as like a monster of the week like how do you guys feel about at least you know like i'd say just pick one and you know the one that affected you guys the most um I think I think a lot of them serve as the ex- I think a lot of their deaths um, or like implied deaths um, serve to reinforce like the badness of Phaeton and also like that he is way worse than the Exo Fleet. Um, I remember being really sad when the accountant guy gets sent away because like he because there's that like Phaeton is like you could have been my closest friend like you could have ruled beside me um, but now like you're gonna like. And they send the way to get mer- to get lobotomized. Yeah, um, I remember thinking. I remember thinking that was like unduly like part of part of that real that really drives home that Phaeton like no matter how justified Phaeton is like the work is corrupted because he's like a cruel and evil individual. Yeah, I I mean I think the the accountant I mean I think one they both they all kind of serve to like heighten the stakes and show you that people will die and people that we know and not just like red shirts um, <laughs> the. The accountant thing, I think, is... I think the Diana, the Diana thing is the one that stuck with me the most, but the accountant thing is notable because um, he's a Neo-Sapien. And so you kind of... We tend to think of the Neo-Sapiens as being a monolith, but it shows some difference in them 
in as a group and it shows that they that he's willing to kill his own people um to you know to to win which i think is a a great character thing but it's also makes you you know reconsider that nobody's safe and uh, the diana thing always stuck with me especially this rewatch yeah because i think like i really can understand her motivations more than i think i could could before and that's and i don't i don't know necessarily in the moment what to make of it but um clearly you could say maybe it's not you know don't sell people out <laughs> there's no that uh, that's not the right approach to things but i also think what she does is is for her own survival and i can't blame her for that like the the james Byrne stuff yeah definitely um, like you know it's it's not a game of you know of chess it's literally you know she does what she does because she thinks she can see her family again and she finds out they're dead um, right, and that's a heartbreaking moment. Yeah, it's you know that, that's high, that's high stakes. That's very real. Yeah, I mean that's that's a horrifying, horrifying moment. Um, and you know, just to touch on Marcus for a second, to me, he when he goes out, he he, it's kind of emblematic that his way of thinking of being stuck in the past cannot happen. You know, like you said, with your Shanes, he's like shitty Shane. You know, like he's trying to do the thing to save the day and he gets the part where he can't hang around right, but he doesn't get the part where he saves the day right. You know, Um, it's this sort of, you know, working together, working with people and not just like freelancing as a cowboy, you know? So like, yeah, like the the future isn't for people like Marcus. Yeah. No, it's, Um, it's complex. It's not you know black or white it's it's the gray so what one of the, going going back for a half a second to the diana thing mm-hmm. i think what's interesting about that is that like the show is kind of telling us like we're not gonna know everything that's happening well it's when it's happening that like other things are happening that we're not seeing which i think is interesting definitely and very cool um just to move on in a related related note uh best death non-marcus category Ooh. Sandusky. Sandusky's a good one. That's a yeah. strong one. Um, for me, it's got to be that Neo Sapien that they drop the grenade on the shoulder <laughs> and you see him trying to claw it off before he dies. Yeah, that Ooh. that one's raw. That's hard. That's a hard one. Yeah, that's that's mine because, like I said, 20-something years later, it still kind of sticks with me just, just a little bit. <laughs> yeah. You know. And, and, again, they do that a couple of times. Like, uh that mechanic who's just like oh shit <laughs> he's like falling to you know falling off olympus mons in a you know just trying to defend himself but uh let's see next what are your overall takeaways from season one like what's what do you feel kind of like going forward and what do you want to see in like season two you know i mean we we've all watched this before but like not having seen it in a while what's something that you'd like to kind of like get into kind of taking a fresh adults look at it i want to i want to look more at uh, i'm looking forward to seeing more about the interaction between the resistance and the exo fleet um and also um the pirates and the exo fleet because they have the same relate they have the similar relate they have a similar relationship to humans and the neo sapiens in the first war so i think that'll be a cool uh examination of like the whole idea of like the cyclical nature of the violence 
Um, I'm looking forward to seeing like, oh, I think this is in there, but I don't remember entirely. Like the Neo Sapiens who start to disagree with Phaeton and start to see him as more trouble than he's worth. Um, you know, and like the the other Neo Sapiens and the, the Lady Neo Sapiens, and because um, I, I feel like there's some we tend to think that they're all on the same page, but I think that, you know, to see them more, more diversity within their ranks would be very interesting. No, definitely. And like, you know, I, um, I'm totally blanking right now, but there was someone online who, uh, I forget who it was that pointed out basically the idea of handshakes, you know, and sort of the physical coming together. So like, you know, I, I, I have a vague memory of like, a couple of really good handshakes coming up, which sounds weird, but it matters because it does show that connection. Kind of like, you know, with the Napier and Phaeton, who are just two sides of the same coin, practically. Um, you know, they just can't get together. You know, we're going to see people, like you said, that dissent, that aren't feeling this whole genocide thing, you know, and it'll be really interesting in my mind to see kind of how it all comes along and comes together. Um, okay, let's, uh, let's take a little detour into social media land, shall we? And we are, yeah, (laughs) now, um, by way of Ryan, I just opened the, um, the Twitter and I'm definitely seeing an alien doing a line of blow. So (laughs) that's, uh, that's definitely Uh interesting. Uh, I can take it down. No, I love it. Are you kidding me? That's the right, fucking yeah, best. I was like, I was like I, as our social media, as our self-appointed social media director, I say that is on brand. Oh hells yeah! <laughs> like <laughs> fucking a. Um, but welcome back to the Exo Squadcast Twitter, the only Twitter that the only Twitter that combines Exo Squad commentary with hardcore pornography. <laughs> 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 I mean, there was that episode a couple ago, man. Oh yeah, um, the when porno. Yeah, ex exo porn goals or whatever that I <laughs> I marked. I, I noted in the description like extremely not safe for work. <laughs> so, I hope someone actually reads those, or maybe not. Okay, so I w- I want to just like pop a couple of questions from a couple of uh. A couple of listeners. So, Sean says, you know, I'm going to read these full in full, you know, it might be too long. I was thinking it would be interesting for some more discussion on the technology needed to pilot an E-frame. There's basically a phone jack that plugs into your brainstem, which is pretty awesome. I remember thinking as a kid those things would handle pretty well since they can respond to your every thought with the exception of Bronski piloting daily on frame, my aside, because he's hammered. Also, <laughs> so... You know, on that, I mean, I think that's one of the more interesting things is seeing people like, you know, pilot at the speed of thought and sort of that idea that it's learning who you are from being stuck inside your brain. Um, Yeah, definitely. Like, this is one thing, like, some of them, like, most of them you have to stand up in. It's like a suit. But there are definitely some, too, where, like, um, they, like, you sit in a chair and there's, like, a joint, there's, like, a... uh, like a console where you manage it so yeah there's there seems to be like different methods of piloting too which is cool yeah it's got a little bit of that battle tech thing where in that universe you wear like a helmet that reads your thoughts but you also have a bunch of levers and 
pedals to step on. So it's cool. I like I like that sort of. Uh, though it is weird every now and then when you see someone just jump in and they just start driving it, and you're like, "Did the frame just stick like a plug into the back of your neck?" And you're just like bleeding out. <laughs> like it does look like it's like uh, yeah, like um, it likes it uh, it like um, it like slit, it like comes out on its own too. And they're yeah. like kind of alive at the end, right? The reveal that like they're like they're like have like a symbiotic relationship with their pilots. I was waiting to see if Chris was going to say something. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Uh... <laughs> sorry, dude. <laughs> No, it's fine. I'm trying. I'm trying to add things, but I'm just sort of like, no. He's hit all the points I was going to say. Um, yeah, I, like I don't, I don't know anything about the technology. I think it's interesting. I think that the Matrix totally ripped it off. Um, no, I even sort of just assumed everybody had these phone jacks in their head. Yeah, right. Uh, these well, quarter inch. I'll let, I'll let you. I'll let you answer the second part of this question. Right. Um, basically, so he says. Also, I think your fans would like to know a little bit more about you guys a little more about you guys personally where you're from how do you know each other why exo squad and you know do you have any experience with the show and toys i mean we kind of went into the experience thing before but chris how did we all meet uh, uh we all met in college yeah uh, we all we all went to college we're all in descending order so chris is a year before me ryan's a year after me and um i don't I rem- like so I remember we were big nerds and we would just stay up late and talking about nerdy stuff. Um I remember one time the campus safety officer came in and like just talked to us about submarines for like a really long time. <laughs> um I don't but I don't I don't I honestly don't remember the moment when we all realized we liked it, but I do remember watching like getting episodes and watching it um in college again and just like sitting down and watching it. Someone gave, I think Mastalone, you gave it to me on like, um, on like, uh, like, like a CD. Yeah, yeah, like disc, yeah. Yeah, which, it was all, not a DVD, kids, a CD. Yeah. Yeah, it was all video files, yeah. Yeah, which we just ended up getting from somewhere. I mean, I didn't do anything related to that semi legal activity. I don't know what you're talking about, officer. Um, if you're a cop, you have to tell us. But that's the law. But yeah, it was one of these things that in one of these conversations, um, because then Chris, like a friend of a friend, gave you a CD with the episodes on it. Yeah. And we were like, yo, that's, you're like, I got this thing. And we're like, yo, that shows like the shit. And we would literally go from lunch to your room, like watch an episode or two, (laughs) and then freaking, you know, go to class. And then just like shoot the shit about it. So it's like it kind of became one of those shows that, you know, I described that as like kind of a secret handshake amongst the nerdier people where. Well, yeah, there's something cool to thinking that you're the only like not in a proprietary way, but that that you, you know something that you just don't think anybody else has heard of. And then they're like big fans of that band, too. And you're like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Like, yeah, finding it, out someone finding out someone likes the thing that you thought no one else but you liked is, is really awesome. But then finding out that too many people like it is terrible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah so. Well, then it's, then it's sold out. That checks out. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, we. It actually, because that, that sort of relates to, um, uh, you know, Jenna, who sent us an email, who we're going to get to their questions later. But, you know, she wrote an interesting essay sort of about, like, that first fandom and thinking you're the only person that's seeing this thing. And finding out that other people, like, not only 
know it but are like interested in it in kind of the same way is it's kind of an amazing thing you know when you when you actually start talking to people about something and you see how different people latch onto different parts of it so i don't know it's really cool when you find out someone is really into something that you're really into and they talk about it and like their perspective on it is wildly different like the things that interest them and like what characters they really gravitated towards is different and like one of the things that's cool about us is like like when what i would talk to you guys about exo squad like you guys looked at it in like a very different way than i did and like it was really cool to like talk about like talk on that level about something that we were like really into like definitely yeah so let's let's move on from that um <laughs> josh says hey josh yeah <laughs> friend of the pod um friend of the pod he says i'm a massive american studies nerd i can go in deep in it but i think it'd be neat to sort of take a put a stake in the ground and say the this is the year this is what's happening um we kind of went into this a little earlier um way to blow up my spot guys um i I think i actually did it but sort of you know i'm sorry that's my bad that's my b (laughs) no no i I was the one who was like malcolm x and blah 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 because i like had looked that up right before the show i actually have a tab opened on my browser being like december 1992 what happened um but yeah, it's sort of like, it's interesting to see, you know, kind of like Tailspin and your, you know, your Animaniacs are kind of historical documents in their own right. But it's interesting to see this show kind of taking on um, elements of that early 90s, like progressive movement that, especially as kids, I think, I, I know when I was a little kid in school, it'd be freaking, you know, we, we learned a lot about diversity and different cultures and different everything. There was like a real focus on like acceptance and like, like uh, everybody getting along and like con- like I remember conflict resolution was like a big thing in school. Like we did that like a lot. Like that was like discussed a lot. No, definitely. And like so, I, I feel like this show, especially in that sort of uh, milieu, to use the word again, like it's interesting because it shows a con- you know an actual conflict, but sort of kind of like we were saying that the way forward is through cooperation it's not through you know denigrating people it's not through doing all sorts of awful stuff it's actually just we like something better being together than alienating you know others i guess and i but i think for as timely as i'm sure it was it's it's also it also is timeless and it does go beyond that just the moment to um you know, World War Two to slavery, like, you know, while racial issues exploded at that time, um, they certainly existed before that and, and after that. And I think looking back on the show, it's what I do like about it. And what I do find interesting about it is that it does still hold up. Um, and it is still, it is, has a very timeless quality to it. No, and, and definitely, um, you know, it's, it's, inter- it's really interesting to me that this was before, because what Saving Private Ryan was ninety eight, I think. Yeah. And then uh, tsunami hit, I think ninety seven. So it was before both the big World War Two media push and the big anime push, and this predated it all by about four or five years, which is kind of crazy when you think about it. That you know, and I, but again with it being timeless, these are things that I you know will never quite go away. You know, it'll uh, always be part of the, unfortunately, part of the culture. 
where we have to, uh, you know, we have to try to work together because there will always be people trying to push us apart. So, oh, by the way, before with the handshake thing, it was, uh, it was our good friend at Monk of War who had put, he has a really cool post, the little montage guy about handshakes because I just saw it. So, but let me, uh, just because we're running a little long, let me move on to the next question. So this question is from Andrew and it's sort of about the background of the sort of the history of the show. And I'll distill it down to this. How does the time frame from the start of the rebellion to now sort of clear the air with like, like how do you let the leader of the rebellion into the exo fleet is my question. Well, it's not my question. It's Andrew's question rephrased. Yeah. So it, it, they, he kind of hints uh, when he gives his like when Marsala gives his monologue. He's like, after the rebellion, I swore two oaths: one to the Exo Fleet, one to the squad. So I kind of assumed that it's like part of one of the requirements for the surrender was to like have the leader of the rebellion join the Exo Fleet as like a symbolic like truce, which yeah. I think is like part of it. Uh, which is funny because they never bring that up ever. It's never mentioned that like. The former leader of the rebellion, or I guess it's not widely known. Well, what I don't I don't understand really is how, what the scope of the rebellion was. Like, it was like a couple of dudes on Mars. Like, that's, I don't know what, so I don't really know enough to know that, like, there was this massive thing when millions of people died or whether it was, like, yeah. <laughs> justifiably slaves were tired of being slaves. And they, you know, were basically prisoners who fought their prison, who, you know, beat up their prison guards. In which case, I can understand how that you'd be more forgiving if it was a smaller scale. It's also interesting to me that and this is never really commented on, but I mean, you know, Phaeton is the governor general of Mars, and Mars is really just the Neo-Sapien world after the fact. It's sort of as if after the rebellion, the Space UN said, "Hey, you guys get Mars, do it, do with it what you will, but don't, you know." It's like a live in prison. It's like home arrest, you know? You're under arrest, but you have freedoms, but they're not really free, you know? Yeah. Um, it's, 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 it's very much in the line of, like, Germany after World War One, like, punished and, like, exiled and, like, quarantined from, like, everybody else. Yeah. And then they started building battleships. Uh, yeah. Which is... Basically, yeah. Which is a weird parallel. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. And I, I think that... The time in between is, you know, 50 years in this one and, you know, 30 years in the other one, 25, whatever. Yeah. You, you know, so I think I think that is, I think that that's a really good uh, insight and a good parallel that was right in front of our nose. Yeah, exactly. And again, he raises the point, too, that, like, they were, if they took all this time to build the Neo Sapiens, they could have just, they had the E-frame. It's practically, like, six months later. So, way to be dicks, humanity. Um let me get to Jenna's questions because she's got a couple of, um, a couple of interesting ones. Uh, let me start with. On one hand, I don't think that as viewers we are supposed to agree with Napier or the old racist couple in the earlier episodes, but they aren't just criticizing Neo Sapiens in general, but ones who were literally responsible for the uprising fifty years previous. Which, yeah, hard to be angry uh, with people who's who rebel against slavery. And on the other hand, Phaeton might have been the literal person who killed that guy's wife, not just the descendants of the enemy, so I can understand, if not condone, his reaction. Do you think this complicates the message that the show seems to be trying to make about racism? I mean, the Neos are clearly a big blue other, but yeah, do you think it's sort of like, 
sort of the complexity of this issue where Phaeton and potentially Marsala, their hands may have blood on them, you know? Like, how do you guys feel about this? I mean, like she says, they're clearly the other, but, you know, some of them are, have nothing to do with this. Some are super guilty as opposed to blaming a whole group of people for historical actions. I don't know. So what do you guys sort of think about that idea? If, you, if, a, if a slave kills a slave master, do you, do you, do you blame the, throw the slave in jail for murder? Um, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of... <laughs> sorry, Ryan was going to say something. But... Oh, sorry. I, I, do th- I definitely agree it complicates things, but I think purposefully so. Like, part of, part of the message that, like, I think Exo Squad really seems to drive home is that um, there's no... There's no... Fine, like, there's no way that this gets resolved where everyone who is guilty, like, like everything is, is made right. Like, it's very messy, and it's very, like, sloppy, and, like... That's just part of it. That is part of the deal. Right. And I think like, you know, do you rehabilitate people and or do you, you know, if you're we're considering the Neo Sapiens a version of people, like do you just Yeah, kill all of them, murder execute all of them? That doesn't seem particularly decent. Or just given the fact that they seem sort of programmable, do you just sort of take them at their word and that that's their bond? I don't know. Right. I'm I mean I kind of have this you know, I, I sort of think of the uh after apartheid in South Africa with uh, Desmond Tutu and like the Truth and Reconciliation Council thing that they did, where, you know, rather than saying these people were bad, these people were good, vice versa, it was sort of all about like, look, things happened and we need to come to terms with this. So I feel as though, you know, going forward, that's going to be the bigger theme is that idea like we have to come to terms with you know, and that's kind of like with, um, I forget the guy's name. There's a pilot character, Thrax, that shows up later. But, yeah, uh, yeah, Thrax is awesome. Yeah, but, you know, without getting too too far ahead. Um, but, the, you know, there, there's characters that have to, you know, like the Exo Fleet is going to the pirates. You know, the pirates have been killing Exo Fleet. You know, the show starts with the pirates killing Exo Fleet people. And, you know, the Exo Fleet has been killing the pirates and the Neo Sapiens have been killing humans and the humans have been killing Neo Sapiens and it's sort of like this thing where I think it actually almost helps the show because it kind of shows that you know racism and all these sort of awful things aren't just a simple yes or no issue it's like yeah we no all have morally to, pure yeah and we all have to kind of work together towards that common goal of unity and coming together and, and fix in writing you know like sort of social injustice um to make it better I, yeah i like that it i like that it asks but doesn't fully answer the question of like how much punishment is enough punishment when has someone been fully punished for like the the actions they made in the past if they've like changed and i like that it like pu- like it offers a couple different answers but it doesn't really provide like one solid answer i think that's cool yeah no, definitely. And she also posits the idea that, and I, I really like this question. We, we've kind of gotten into it a little bit. She says, what was Marsala doing all this time? Because we, we, her first part was sort of about what does Marsala need to do to gain the trust? But what was he doing all this time? Once he decides he knows what a joke is, like with his all thumbs comment, he's got a great sense of humor. Why did it take till now to exist? He answers questions about being a Neo-Sapien all the time without hesitation. So why has no one ever asked before? And I think that's sort of like we've talked about a little bit during season one. Um, 
this lack of communication, which I think is a major issue. Yeah, I mean, part part of it makes you wonder if it's just part of the mechanics of the show. It's not necessarily like on purposeful, but I'm not going to just absolve anybody of that. I think it's just the fact that like he to them is like the furniture. I don't mean that. I don't know how to say that in the right way, but like they just take it for granted. They just take him for granted that he's there and he's one of them. Yeah. And, um, but no, I don't, I don't know how that they've supposedly spent all this time together and like, they're just now getting to jokes. Like, I <laughs> yeah. I mean, hell, you know, I can't imagine being a car ride with like either of you guys for longer than 10 minutes without making a joke. So how do you do that with a guy right. who's we're been on, in the military? We're to like, you know, how to per- recidivism, like, you know, we're into like, bigger things in 10 minutes so i i don't know i just think it's probably one of the things of the show definitely um and finally from these uh from the masses she asks because she wrote a great great email to us so we're trying to hit a couple from her yes thank you for that great email if you're listening yeah it's 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 super good um she says one thing i'd love for you to do if possible is recommendations for other media for those of us who are exo squad fans like you know, if you like X Squad, you might like Space Above and Beyond, and you know. And she also watched that Ryan, so we're not alone on that one either. That show rules, man! I, yeah, everyone should watch it. It's awesome. Uh, she recommend she actually re- recommends the Tanya Huff Confederation series. I've never read a, it's basically about a space marine and her squad, so that sounds like, as she says, it's like a combination of Torres West and kind of kicking ass. Um, so I might actually have to look into that. But is there any sort of like? series of books or movies or shows or something like you might recommend to someone who likes exo squad and i think i know what ryan might say but uh I'll let you guys take this one i'll ca- i'll take it off the air thanks guys <laughs> um yeah so i would definitely recommend uh checking out BattleTech. um there's an animated series that's like kind of lame um but there were some pretty sweet novels um they were all made in like the late 80s early 90s um and it's uh it takes place in like a much larger like like humanity's like it takes place far in the future but um humanity like warfare is dominated by people who ride in like uh 60 foot high robot suits um and there's a lot of uh so that's pretty cool but i've also i've been watching the expanse lately and that i think deals with a lot of the haves and have not stuff that's more like thematically in line with exo squad so those would be my those would be my recommendations yeah, I'm gonna jump. Let me. I'm just gonna jump in because I'm gonna second the BattleTech thing because I know Ryan and I, we both grew up reading these novels and particularly like the Michael Stackpole ones. The, any ones about like, you know, the politics, mercenary uh, units going on these crazy suicide missions and stuff like that. They're really great. You can find them on. Uh, they're all on Kindle. Yeah, um, for like a buck. Yeah. So yeah, they're worth checking out. You know, I mean, some of the stuff's dated, but definitely very cool. Um, but yeah, sorry, Chris. <laughs> Oh, I was going to say, you can check out my book, Necropolis, which is on Amazon. <laughs> Hells yeah. Which is a, a weird, a proto uh, fan fiction of <laughs> Exosquad. Um, not what well, kind of, but not really. I, kind de- of. I definitely um, did find, by the way, I was searching for something else, and I found you and I had like kind of started outlining our like Exosquad movie we wanted to do. <laughs> Oh, I I wrote a fan, I wrote a screenplay for an Exo Squad movie. Yeah, I think we had like seventy pages or something like that. Oh, yeah. And when the emails oh, yeah. like a lot of exclamation points. Yeah, I want to go back and read that like so badly. Um, oh, I have it. But definitely, yeah, Chris, we'll tweet it. We'll put out a a link with this episode 
Yeah, send up my book. It's yeah, it's a it's a space noir about a detective that takes place um, in a future world where uh, I'll just say uh, Mar- building creatures on Mars is important. <laughs> yeah, no, it's and it just goes without saying that this show has been incredibly influential to all of our <laughs> career. I mean, hell, we're doing a freaking Exo Squad podcast. What more do you want? Um, um, yeah, but I, no, those are all great choices. I don't have anything that's not uh, readily available on HBO. So. Yeah, and uh, we'll definitely. Oh, oh, I, oh, sorry. oh I have one more. Oh, um, yeah. Oh, while we're on the subject, um, I highly, highly recommend, uh, even though I haven't read them since I was in sixth, like sixth grade, the um, the Star Wars X-wing books. Oh um, yeah. It follows like one unit of X-wing pilots. Um, through the rebellion, so like it's not the main characters in the sh- in the movies, um, but it's like got it's like a it's like a regular squad like doing like important missions, and it's really they were awesome. They were super. I actually think actually, those might have been written by Mike Stackpole as well. I think they are, yeah. Um, who was just a really good uh, sci-fi fantasy author. Like, you know, someday we'll uh, we'll have our stack cast. Um, yeah. Well, guys, you know, before we get to the uh, the MVPs, I just want to say, do we have anything we want to plug? Because Chris's book recommendation reminded me of that. So, so buy my book, uh, <laughs> ebook. Just download it. It's it's terrific. Uh, my, my aunt and Ryan gave it really great reviews. Um, <laughs> two loopy ladies on Etsy. Get yourself something fine that is crocheted, a hat, a scarf, a little owl doll. Yeah. Uh, do it those are my two plugs forever yeah uh ryan you got anything i want to shout out josh Gee, who fa- wrote in a fan questions uh newsletter um uh snack carts really good food writing oh if you're in new york city go see drew harner do sta- drew harner do stand up he's really funny and he's related to me hells yeah um, nice. yeah yeah um, those the, are my those are my plugs the man of the dulcet tones and i just want to say like guys we're not going to stop doing it until you buy something so buy something please no, not really. Uh, I mean, we, we, we won't stop. We'll never stop. No, um, there's no. <laughs> it's, it's irrelevant if you buy something. Uh, you someone know. actually did go. Uh, there was traffic to two loopy ladies from the Exo Squad podcast. So it's a start. Whoa. It's a start. Whoa. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah, that's <laughs> we've, true. We've influenced something. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> Our reach is one. You, you hear that Squarespace? No. Like, yeah, for real. We get the clicks. We can get the clicks. Blue apron. Casper <laughs> <laughs> uh, of mattress. <laughs> I prefer a hashtag plated personally. Now, um, it's amazing. Um, yeah, guys, and I, you know, I think we can forego the awesome thing this week just because it's like kind of the end of the season thing. So I'd say we could save it till next week. But here's the big moment. Who is your MVP of season one. M-m-m-m-m-m-m-m-m-m-m-m-m-m-m-m-m-m-m-m-m-m-m-m-m-m-m-m-m-m-m-m-m-m-m-m-m-m-m-m-m-m-m-m-m-m-m-m-m-m-
Um, Chris? I, I'm going to say mine is Phaeton because, like, without Phaeton, we don't have a show. So, and kind of like, he, you know, he makes that transformation from kind of misguided uh, despot to melty-faced villain. And I like that. You know, I like that he's sort of growing as this evil being and I like that we've seen his background so he's my MVP for season one maybe him and Marsala slash but we shall see who you got Chris uh, my MVP to blow it wide open is you Chris Mastalone uh, <laughs> for organizing this podcast for editing it producing it putting it together we wouldn't be here without you so you <laughs> sir are the MVP strongly agree so, um, that was that was a baller move Chris that Fucking was excellent a. That Dude, excellent. that's like and I, and I called it, so I'm humble too. <laughs> Nailed yeah. it. Yeah, freaking a god, man. Thank thank you so much. Like, and thank you guys for like being a part of this because we, you know, it's this is one of those things, and you know, to get all inspirational here, like we always talked about doing this, and then one time we found ourselves all with nothing to do, and we said let's do this, and a week later we had a podcast. So. If you guys are out there and you're feeling like you want to do something and make something, make it. Because, you know, what's the worst that happens? People don't listen. Yeah. People Make the podcast that talks about that thing. Yeah. You know, if you want to make the Exo Squadcast Squadcast, I mean, do it. You know, like, but yeah, I mean, like, what's the worst that happens? Someone doesn't listen to it or someone doesn't like it? Well, guess what? That thing didn't exist an hour ago. Um... So yeah, if, if no one listened to this podcast, it would still be the best time of my week. Like, yeah. it would be awesome. Like, yeah, no, it's yeah. cool people listen, but like this part's all this is rad. Yeah, this is an excuse to talk to two of my best friends for like an hour a week. So, this is the best, you know. Yeah, you well, know, do stuff that makes you happy. Yeah, make stuff. Yeah. Uh, humans are great creators. They just don't always <laughs> understand the ramifications of those creations. <laughs> Hells yeah. Um, I'm looking forward to uh, continuing the discussion, gentlemen. Hells yeah. I can't wait. And like, you know, we're going to, we might have something percolating, but if not, then we'll have season two, episode one or episode 14 of, or we'll figure out how we're going to label this, but we'll see you next Saturday. Um, as always, I'd like to thank Eric Calderon for our intro and outro music. His stuff is great. Find him on YouTube. His stuff is good. I would like to ask you guys to find us on iTunes or wherever you listen to us, SoundCloud, Google Play, whatever, and just leave a rating and a review. It'll take a minute of your time, and it means the world to us. And especially, like, if, you know, you think we need to add a little new blood because Ryan's getting a little stale, or Chris, not going to say which one, uh, let us know. I'm not going to tell you where I'm getting stale. <laughs> It is getting hot out there. Uh, so, yeah, leave a review, a rating, tell your friends about the show. It's really great. It's fun. We love interacting with you guys. And, you know, we might look into, if there is interest, we might look into doing a t-shirt or we might look into doing a Patreon. But we will let you guys know. You can always find us on Twitter at ExoSquadGoals. Use the hashtag ExoSquadGoals to reach out to us or email us at Gmail using, or email us at exosquadgoals at gmail.com that is so hard to say wow um, our email address is gmail.com yeah we got in really early guys um, but yeah you know here's to season two guys and for exosquadgoals I'm Chris Mastalone 
I'm Ryan Hardy. And I'm Chris Farentino. Are there any heroes in this company? No, no sir. sir. Wow, dude, after 13 episodes, you guys are right on time. Nailed it. Fuck Nailed yeah. It. Think, thanks a lot, guys. Bye. Guys rule. Bye. Yeah, I love that we all have a Neosapien accent. Mine is just talking slower. Yeah. Um, I feel like that's most of them. Well, they're they're like vaguely British, right? Kind of. Yeah, all, all good bad guys are, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like it's like an emperor. It's like an empire thing, right? They're like they're like, they're like, they're like the old Nazis from movies. Yeah, that's also that's a better way. USA. 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 Sorry. Um. America. This this podcast is brought to you by the very nation by the very notion of America. I worked with with an English guy once who would go USA USA, and I was like, you can't make me feel bad about that. Like I, yeah. no. Like uh, I'm sorry. Why are you saying that awesome thing over and over again? I just I don't understand. You know what I don't like about you Americans? You do something that's totally awesome. Listen, I get it. Not everyone's a silverback, but like some countries are. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm okay with Hulk Hogan and Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Like, whatever. You know, when it comes crashing down and it hurts inside, I know who to call. Is it Hulk Hogan? Is it is it fucked up? I'm willing to let like uh, like some pretty bad stuff Hulk Hogan go because I'm like, yeah, but he's Hulk. He's Hulk Hogan. Like. Oh yeah. Well, you know, it, it's like if the Iron Sheik is uh, threatening for the title, or if. I don't know. You need some incredibly racist act to happen. That's when you call Hulk Hogan, apparently. Right, right. Like I, we've all agreed as a society, we're ne- like he he videotaped himself having racist sex with Bubba the Love Sponge's wife, and I'm like, yeah, I mean, it's not <laughs> ideal. Like, it's not the best thing that could have happened. But like, come on. You know, when you say it like that, it just sounds absurd. I I think we're not holding <laughs> we're not holding a man named Hulk Hogan to a higher enough standard, myself. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? And, and and that act led to him owning the Gawker Network. <laughs> yeah, that was the that was the spark that lit the ownership of Google of of Gawker by Hulk Hogan and a man who wants to drink blood to live forever. <laughs> Go ahead, other countries, bring it on! Like that's some next level. Like uh, that's some next level shit. Yeah, yeah, well, uh, that's that's gonna go at the end of the episode. <laughs> uh, yeah, you have to at least pay the Patreon for my like borderline fascist tirade. <laughs>